Well, I like that. You like that? Um, I, I like watching to see if any of them are just going to take up and fly away. It, uh, I think it means a lot to see musicians up here really listening to what they're singing and uh, getting into it. So, nice job, y'all. I enjoyed it. <clears throat> okay, I need to make an announcement before I start because I may not remember it later and it's important enough that I want to make sure you get it. We, uh, we recognize that many people in our extended community of Southeast Texas are suffering today because of floods and um, the displacement that that brings. I'm, uh, I, I just want to commend our missions committee and those who have been on that committee over the last several years because they look forward and anticipated a day much like this one. And for several years, we've been putting together a disaster relief trailer that uh, we can use on a local basis to go help people. And so this is a good time to use that, I'm thinking. And this afternoon at 4 o'clock, there will be a meeting for anybody who's interested in helping us to formulate some kind of a plan to go help, whether it's mud out crews or chainsaw. I don't guess we need chainsaw crews at this point, but we might. Um, but any number of things, uh, how we might put together, uh, whether we're going to collect clothes or just a number of things that are possible. And so there is a meeting at four o'clock today. If you are interested in helping with that at all, uh, you may not want to run it. That's fine. We've got people who I think are planning on running it, but, uh, if you have a voice in that would like to be part of that, I would encourage you to be here at four o'clock family life center. If you're new to us, that's the building on the northernmost side of our complex here. And you go in the main doors right in the middle at the front and into the gym area, hang a left, and there's a, 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 a kind of a conference room, classroom back there close to the restrooms. And that'll be at 4 o'clock today. I'd invite you to be part of that, okay? So now I want to ask you to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of James chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I'll just kind of let you know that uh, I was one of those bad students in high school who never really paid attention in most of the classes. Um, I got out, but uh, matter of fact, it, well, never mind. I'll just, I, I'll tell you what eats my wife up about me getting out of school, but I'll just save that for another time. Um, the reality is that they did let me out with a diploma, even though, like for specifically, in literature classes, uh, I don't know. I don't remember ever reading any of the stories that we were supposed to read. And uh, how I got out, I don't know. Maybe they just thought this poor kid just push him on through, and maybe he'll get a job somewhere. But uh, the reality for me was that uh, I grew up and through that process without knowing some of the great classic uh, pieces of literature. And I find later in life now that that really is not a good thing. I really should have read that stuff. So those of you who are in high school or junior high, middle school, I would encourage you to do what you're told to do there. But um, So I've had to go back now and kind of catch up. And so not long ago, a couple of years ago, I guess now, I decided to read The Last of the Mohicans. Y'all familiar with that story? Um, you know, I started reading through that and I thought, this is a good story. 
And then it dawned on me, that's one of the reasons it's a classic is because people through the years think it's a good story. And there's a piece of that story that fits what we're talking about today. Uh, And another of the classics that I read most recently was The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. How many of you have read that one? So you know in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer that there is a situation there, a scene, if you will, in the story where Tom, um, it goes with a group of kids, I think from the school, if I remember right, and they go across the river to where there are some caves, and they go to exploring the caves, and Tom and this girl get lost in the caves. And what's important to me about that was, especially as it relates to what we're talking about today, is that some of those kids didn't realize it at first, but when they did finally realize that Tom and this girl were not with everybody else when they went home, the whole town mobilized to go over there into those caves to find them. A search and rescue, if you will. That search and rescue theme is consistent throughout Americana and our culture and our literature, and it's found its way into our movies. It was roughly four decades ago that we first heard the words of a princess through a robot, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. That's Star Wars, for those of you who have been living under a rock for two, five decades or so. Um, And that series has worked forward, but it started off with this search for this princess in the midst of a huge war. In case that's a little too far back for you, let me take you a little more recently to a guy named Rambo. (laughs) Rambo, who in the second of the movies of his fame, I I think they made 60 or 70 of them, it seems like. (laughs) No, that's Rocky, never mind. Um, But in one of those movies of the Rambo franchise, uh, he goes into Vietnam to search out, find, and rescue these POWs who had been there since the war was over. Chuck Norris, not to be outdone, did a whole series of those kind of movies also. Maybe that's too far back, so let me jump a little closer to home for you, to a guy named Liam Neeson, who uttered these words that are now famous, I have a special set of skills. (laughs) The whole idea of search and rescue is part of Americana. We like the idea of rushing to the rescue of someone who is in trouble. James apparently read those books long before they were written. Because James, in the last two verses of his little epistle that's five chapters long, sets out the basis for multiple search and rescue operations by Christians. It's an interesting thing. And before we even read that, I want to draw your attention to what I just said. At the end of this little letter, the last two verses, last words are always important, but especially when we come to the end of a book like James that has just systematically dissected us on the way we live the Christian life. And James in these last two verses says essentially this, 
Those who are out there who have wandered away, go get them. So verse 19, James chapter 5, we read this way. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Two relatively simple little verses. Well, actually, that's not true. They're not relatively simple at all. As a matter of fact, scholars now for 2,000 years or so have been working to try to understand and to pull apart some of the references that James makes, especially in verse 20. Who is he talking about, for instance, when he says, uh, brings back a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul? Whose soul is getting saved here? And what is the nature of this saving of his soul? Is it a salvation kind of thing? Is there something else to that? If it's a salvation kind of thing, that presents some theological issues for us. When we get right down to it, James says enough in two verses to keep us busy for a long time. But what I want to do today is I kind of want to pull it down and make it a little more simple for us for, so that we can grab the essential teaching of it and not get lost in the specifics. The way James writes these two verses affirms as truth this basic idea. Some people inside the church will wander from the truth. The word there is an interesting one, wander. It's the exact word from which we get the word for planet. And the reason for that was in first century life, they looked up at the night sky and they saw these dots of light that were fixed. They were always in the same spot. It's one of the reasons when we come to the Christmas season and we hear about this star that led the wise men from the east Uh, It was noteworthy to them because it wasn't like what they were used to seeing. They studied the stars. And so these fixed points of light that were called stars were overshadowed from time to time by these wandering lights across the night sky. Planets, we call them. And that's the word that he uses here. So when he says that there will be some who will wander from the truth, the idea is that there is this set group of people, God's people, the church, those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ and determined to live according to his standard of living. And then there are those people who will say, I'm not going to do that. And they begin to wander out of that. All of us know people like that. Some of us have been people like that. And the chances are good in a crowd this size, six, seven, 8,000 people here today, if you're listening on the internet. Some of us may be here today and we are that wandering person. James is not interesting in an argument to determine whether this is a true statement or not. He just makes it as a factual statement. Some will wander. So I want to stop for a second before we go any further and let's give you something to hang on to through the course of the next 15, 20 minutes or so. Who is it in your life that's wandering today? I say on a regular basis, I do it consistently because I want to make sure that we all get it. God has strategically placed you into a circle of people, some of whom desperately need him in their lives. 
He's also placed us in circles of people who already know Christ. We call that the community of faith. We call that the church. And in this particular church, if you're not here on a, on a consistent basis, or maybe you're new to us today, uh, this particular church, we emphasize this idea of being connected with one another. The reason we do that, first of all, it's all through the New Testament and Old Testament for that matter, but the reason that we do that primarily is because we recognize that life is hard enough not to want to do it by yourself, especially the Christian life. And so we need each other, and so we work hard at connecting with one another. But the reality is some people will, from time to time, decide I'm just not going to do that and filter away, wander, to use James's terminology here. So as we come to this today, we have been talking about James saying your faith has to work. The whole series is entitled It Works. And the idea is that your faith has to work. It will work if you work it, but to sit on the sidelines and just kind of casually and passively work through life without Christ involved in it is not God's design for you. That's James's point. And so we've said a number of different things. Your faith has to work in your relationships. Your faith has to work in your wallet. And now we find James saying to us, your faith has to work when somebody else's faith is not working. So with this, let's look quickly at a couple of things about this. I want, I want to basically try to speak to two questions today. The first one is, why should we go after that person who is wandering? Because that's James's point here. He's not just interested in saying, okay, we've done all this work through the book, or through what we call the book, the epistle of James. We've done all of this work about how to live the Christian life, and now at the end of it, but some people won't do it, so go about your business. That's not his point at all. He is saying some people are going to wander away from this, and when they do, you go get them. I think we need to deal with the question, why should we do that? Because many Christians, maybe most Christians... I would say most in my experience, when it comes to going after somebody, and I'm going to use a term, I hate the term, all right, but it, and the reason I hate it is because I've seen the TV show. Intervention. The idea of an intervention for Christ challenges us. It's a scary thing for us, and I think it should be. Much damage can be done if it's not done correctly. But part of what we have to underscore is because it's so hard and because it's one of the... Well, just put it this way. If, if you decided that you were just going to kind of filter away a little bit and somebody showed up at your doorstep said, Hey, you haven't been in church. What gives? What's the deal? How would you handle that? I thought so. So we need to be careful how we do this. And we also probably should just go ahead and acknowledge the fact that we just typically don't do this, and so maybe we need a good reason to do it. James gives us that here. This is not Christian practice, but James says it should be Christian practice. And we have these questions about what he means will save his soul from death and covers a multitude of sins. Uh, What do those things mean? Let me just boil it down in the interest of time today, and here's part of what we get. James is saying with this that at the essence of who that person is, when you go to pull them back into the fellowship of Christ, 
you restore life to them. What drives that is James's understanding of what the Christian life is. Now, I'm concerned that in our society today, in American Christianity, that we have kind of laid up this kind of a cheap um, religion and called it Christianity. We've kind of just laid it out there as if it's, okay, so I believe this. Kind of, okay, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died on the cross for my sins. Easter's coming up, so I'll even believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that. But we reduce that down to the level, sort of like the one that says, I believe that I can drink milk from the grocery store as long as the stamp shows that it hasn't expired and I won't get sick. It's not that we don't act on that information. It's just that that information doesn't change our life. But Jesus Christ, as we're going to be reminded next week, Jesus Christ gave life to us. He didn't do that just so that we could mentally check off, okay, I believe that, that's good. He says, come to me and I will blow your mind with the life that I offer you. But our American Christianity doesn't seem to buy into that much these days, it seems. So it's easy for people to wander away. James says you'll save that person's soul from death. His life, the essence of who he is. That person as he walks away and gets sucked into the vortex of sin and the downward spiral of sin and its consequences in our life that takes us gradually and then in great leaps and bounds away from that life that Jesus offers us. It's not that they lose their salvation, it's that they lose their life. Those of us who have walked away, including myself, will be the first to say, that is no life at all in that vortex of sin. There's something about walking with Jesus on a daily basis that brings excitement to life. Now, that doesn't mean you go out there and be flipping over pews and jumping stuff and, you know, saying crazy stuff, all religious in your head. That's not what that's talking about at all. He's talking about life that's built on a relationship that's fresh every day. The storms rage around you, but deep within there is that center that God builds there for you. When you walk away from Christ, you walk into death. James says, a working faith steps into that spiral on behalf of another person and pulls them back to life. Do you know a person like that? I've been impressed, just to be very frank with you, uh, I've been very impressed with some of the men of this church. Now, I'm closing in on five years here, and so I'm st- I don't know that I feel like I'm a newcomer anymore, although some days I do. Um, but I've been here long enough to watch some of the men of God in this church. And I've seen more men in this church do this than I've ever seen in any other church. When someone that they know is stepping into death, those guys mobilize and go say, Not today, you're not. It's a beautiful thing to see. 
And it's a great thing to be on the receiving end of it if you have somebody who cares enough about you to do that. That's what James is talking about here. And in the process of doing that, you pull them to life. Why should we do this? Well, here's a good reason. Because Scripture says we should. Now, that ought to be enough for us. But the reality is, for some of us, it's not. I know that because many of us just don't do this yet. I'm not trying to jump on your case. I'm just saying, this is hard for us. We don't, if, if you don't like confrontation, this is, this is an intimidating kind of thing to hear. Put it this way, and then we'll go to the second question I want to try to speak to. If you were on the street corner in a busy intersection in a large city, and there's a crowd of people there, 20 or 30 people in all, and you're all trying to get across the intersection to go to the other side, all of you go in the same direction, uh, but you're having to wait on the light, and traffic is heavy, and out of the corner of your eye, you see some guy who decides he's tired of waiting, and he's just going to take his chances. And so he begins to jump out into traffic, and he jumps out just as there's a taxi cab coming at him. Would you stand and watch the show? Or would you try to grab him and pull him back? That's the picture here. James says, don't let your brothers and sisters jump out into traffic. So how should we do this? No question that we should. The question now becomes, how should we pull it off? And I would like to use my son as an example now, okay? Because... I, I hope that he'll listen to this and he'll be thoroughly embarrassed. That's really the only reason I want to do this. No, actually, it's not true. Most of you know Colin. He's our middle son. He's, um, he's less than 50. How old is he? 28. Thank you. Um, we, we've been doing a lot of talking with him these days because the church where he serves as a youth minister is going through some extremely difficult days. As a matter of fact, uh, there have been decisions made in some of the upper levels of leadership in that church that have uh, impacted the church in very, very negative ways. And Colin, the youth minister who has a grand total of four and a half years worth of experience in ministry, has been leading that church over the last six weeks through difficult waters. Um, and so I've talked to him a lot. He calls, he called me several times in the course of those six weeks. (laughs) I would love to tell you that I gave him incredibly wise counsel and everything turned out well. Uh, I'm not so sure about the incredibly wise counsel, but I will tell you this. I didn't have to give him much counsel. He would ask me questions and I would respond in turn with questions and he would begin to tell me what he was doing, and I, no joking at all here, I have been amazed at the wisdom of my son. And in that, uh, we've received phone calls from church members, hey, this is what Colin's done, it's been incredible to watch him, all those kind of deals, second, third-hand reports. Uh, and, and I'm hearing all that going, What happened to the snotty-nosed, rebellious punk who used to live in my house? Because when he was a teenager, Colin was a piece of work. It's not just when he's a teenager, but it seemed to work out well as a teenager because he began to think somehow 
that he could set his own rules at our house. Now, I'm going to tell you now, I'll refer back to this in a little bit. Uh, I have another son, Brandon, who at one point, while he was in his early days in college, began to talk to his mother in a way that was just totally unacceptable. And I sat him down and threatened to kill him. And, uh, and I told him, you're not going to talk to my wife that way. You may think you can talk to your mom that way, but you're certainly not going to talk to my wife that way. If there was another man talking to her like that, he and I would be doing business. And uh, so I told Brandon, there are two rules in my house. Y'all, some of you remember this. Here's the first rule. I, me, am king. Here's the second rule. Your job is to keep the king happy. That is terrible parenting, okay? If you're hearing that going, I'm going to use that. Don't, okay? Don't. It's ridiculous. It's so dumb, it's ridiculous. But having said that, I'll come back to Colin because Colin did not make the king happy on a regular basis. And so just as a case in point for you, we had one scenario with him where he was dating. He didn't do a whole lot of dating. He was more involved in music and uh, you know, he played in a band and he was playing sports and so he didn't do a whole lot of dating. But when he did do dating, he got in trouble, bad trouble, uh, for, because for some reason he didn't feel like he needed to honor the curfew that we set for him. And so that went on long enough that I decided, okay, it's time to get really serious with him. And I sat him down and I said, here's the deal. If you are late again on a date, you will not like the consequences. Now, I didn't tell him what the consequences were at that point because I wanted to scare him. Did not work. So the next date he comes back, he's an hour late from curfew. And so here's what I told him. For every minute that you were late tonight, you're grounded for a day. Now, do the math, somebody, some of these math people. 60 days, right? It took Colin a while to do the math in that circumstance. (laughs) And I watched him as he began to figure the math out. And he got mad. Now, why did I take that stance with him? Because I knew I'd go to jail if I killed him, and that's what I wanted to do. Okay? I'm the master of overkill on those kind of things. I know that, right? But there's some things that I want you to get from that. I'm going to pull it in. Three different elements. If we are going to do what Scripture says and a brother of ours steps outside of the rules of the standard of living is a better way to say that in God's kingdom. James has been telling us all through this what some of those standards are. So it's not a surprise for us at this point. And so when one of the brothers, one of us, steps out of those standards, there are consequences. It's death. And so that's the discussion we just had a few moments ago. And it equates in my house with Colin not doing what I told him to do. So three things on how we should approach people in that situation. Because we can do more damage than good if we do it wrong. So here's the first thing. When we go to approach those people, it must be rooted in love. This is risky, what we're talking about. To go confront somebody, if you want to use the term intervention, I guess that's okay. It doesn't even have to be a confrontation if you do it right. 
But you don't have any control over how they're going to see it. But to do that is risky. You might even lose a friendship over this if you do it wrong. But you do it in love. If you do it at all, you do it rooted in love. Why, why did I take such a hard stance with Colin? Because his mother and I saw incredible potential in him. And we knew, just like you parents better know, that if you have a child who continues to buck the system and the standards of living at your house, you don't have any guarantees that they won't extend that behavior out into the public arena. If they're fortunate enough to find a job, they're going to have a boss who's going to say, you must be on the job by 7.30 every morning. Most teenagers that I know don't know that 7.30 exists in the morning, except for school stuff. You must teach your kids to obey authority. Because they will always have authority figures in their life. And the primary authority figure is God himself. And so in our dealings with Colin, what's an extra hour from 11 to 12, which is what it happened to be at the time for us? It doesn't matter. Teresa was going to be up playing video games anyway. He could come. No, that's not true. Um, (laughs) That hour was not that significant. What was significant was my son had to understand you live by the rules of this world or you don't make it. And so we were willing to take hard stands with him so that he could figure out how to be what he is today. You see, the deal is that love by by nature Love invests itself in the other person. And so what drives you to go to this brother who is wandering away from the family is that you love them enough to take the chance, even the chance that it might blow a friendship, but you love them enough not to let them walk headlong into traffic. The second element of how we should do this is we must be aimed at restoration. The goal is not just to go have a confrontation with them. Neither is the goal to just go do it as a fix for me. I, okay, I did it. Now I can go home and go about my business. I tried. The reality is, is this kind of stuff that James is talking about here is an investment. This is spending Time. It's going to take your time to do this. And it's not a one-time shot usually. Usually it's an extended thing. Here's how we did this with Colin. Just to help you understand a little bit of how I think this works. With Colin, I gave him that you're grounded. And you're not just grounded to stay home. Oh, that's torture for me and Teresa. I got to tell you, that was not a good 60. But while you're here, you're going to be doing stuff. Okay, And it's not the stuff you want to do. It's the stuff I want you to do. And so after a few days when the anger in him started mellowing out and he started kind of getting what was going on and he started, uh, I felt like, beginning to realize, okay, I, I broke the rules. I, I, I created this situation. 
Then I was able to go back to him and say, okay, Colin, here's the deal. For every day that you're grounded, that you show me that you understand what this is about, and I gave him some idea what that meant to show me that, for every day that you show me that you get this, I'm going to take a day of your grounding off of the end of it. And so you use today and you do well with it, then you reduce a day at the end. And you do well tomorrow, you reduce another day at the end. And so when it's all said and done, I don't remember how many days he was grounded, but it wasn't 60, I know that, because he got it. The the goal is not punishment. The goal is restoration. And for that brother who is wandering away, The goal is not just to go and do your religious duty and confront him with it and walk away. The goal is we want you back. We want to restore you to fellowship with us. So it's an investment. Now the love part kicks in again. You love them enough to be involved. The last thing is you better be humble if you're going to do it at all. Nobody likes some religious blowhard coming at them and telling them how they're wrong. Nobody likes that. Especially me. So don't do me that way. Please. Not that anybody is. I just thought it's easier for me to say it so that you can own it too. Okay? Nobody likes people to come at them like that. Be humble about it. And if you have trouble being humbled about it, then you're the one who's wandering if I understand scripture well. Working faith works to rescue those with failing faith. So I want you to think again. Musicians, y'all come on up, we're done. I want you to think again about people in your circle. Who's wandering today? Who is that person that you know who is right on the verge of walking away from God? Are you going to just watch them walk out into traffic or are you going to grab them and pull them back? And if you're the one here today who's wandering and you're, now you're wondering why you wandered in here, if that's you today, please hear me from the depths of my heart. I walked away from God. I guess the reality is I've done that more than once in my life. I walked way away from God. And I can promise you, there's nothing out there that you want. But Jesus Christ says, I will give you life that you can't even imagine. So come home. And if you know somebody who's out there, go get them and tell them to come home. Let's pray. So Father, we ask you to take this look into your scriptures your spirit would breathe life into them for us. I pray that you would show us those people in our lives who maybe we don't even know that they're on the verge of walking away. Give us a burden that keeps us from sleeping for those people. For those who are here today wondering about whether to continue on or not, my prayer for them is that they would be so overwhelmed with your love right now that it would make the choice for them in Jesus name